Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest this week is Holly Christine Hayes. She's the founder and CEO of Sanctuary Project. It is a nonprofit that provides meaningful employment and job training to women who have survived human trafficking. That's right. January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And so we are going to be talking to Holly about different ways that uh, that you, you can help support the meaningful employment that she's providing, uh, how to keep your kids from being the target of traffickers, how to help the women who have been trafficked. Uh, based on that, just so that you know, a, a word to you listeners, I, I, um, we are going to talk about the realities of human trafficking and the stuff that goes with it. So if you are if you are sensitive to this kind of thing, if you have small children around, maybe this is not the episode, this is not the interview to listen to. But if you are looking for ways to get involved, and if you're looking to understand this problem a little bit more, then please, I urge you to listen to this story uh, that, that Holly tells. I think it's, it's really important for all of us to get to know, for all of us to connect with, so that we can all do our parts. So again, just a word of warning, uh, this, is not, this is not for the faint-hearted. We are going to talk about the realities of human trafficking and, uh, and all of its different uh, points. So, uh, so please... Uh, please stay with us. But if it's not for you, then I totally understand that. In a minute, I'm going to give you two quick pieces of intelligence that you guys can share with your friends or just use it for yourself. Uh, But first, here is a quick word from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. This portion of the Intelligence for Life podcast is presented by Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage is giving away millions during Super Bowl 55 with the Rocket Mortgage Super Bowl Squares sweepstakes. See rules and enter for free at rocketmortgagesquares.com. Once again, want to say thank you to our sponsors who helped make today possible. Here we go with two quick pieces of intelligence. First up, we know that intermittent fasting can help with weight loss. I've done it, meaning eating only within 10 or 12-hour windows during the day. I eat in about a a six-hour window. Or eating 25% of your total daily calories every other day. But here's something else that intermittent fasting can do. It can help you focus during the day and sleep better at night. That's according to Sachin Panda, a leading expert from the University of California at San Diego in the field of circadian rhythm research. That's because it takes between 10 to 16 hours to fully metabolize your last meal. At that point, your body goes from fed to fasting, which releases a bunch of hormones like testosterone, adrenaline, and other biochemicals that increase alertness and focus. Plus, people who stop eating a few hours before bed, they sleep better. And when you wake up in the morning, you'll be more focused the next day. So... Try intermittent fasting to help you sleep better at night and be more focused during the day. And here's a little bit of stress intelligence. By the way, I do intermittent fasting. It's incredible. Make sure that you're healthy enough to do it, but I, 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 really, I really swear by it. Here's, uh, here's a little bit of, of stress intelligence for you all. It's, it's really simple. It's incredible. Stop your phone from displaying the percentage of battery life it has left. That's it. This comes from Damon Berries, the technology editor at Mashable.com. He says, the battery life percentage is like a little countdown clock ratcheting up your anxiety every time we look at our phones. And when people see how much battery life they have left, they start to find that stress, it creeps in. The battery icon without the percentage, it's good enough. It gives you all the information you need, but not enough to drive you crazy. Also, if it's red and nearly empty, then you know you need to plug in your phone. That's, that's all the information we need, really need, right? But we've been trained by our phones to obsess over that percentage, or at least maybe that's just me. So you get 60%, and then you watch it go down to, to 40%, and then down to 4%, and you start to freak out. It's one of the reasons that we actually look at our phones so much. So our expert from Mashable, he says, try turning off the percentage indicator and free your mind from your phone. So there you go. Uh, intermittent fasting, 
and turn the percentage off on your on your phone battery in order to cut stress. It's not me. These are the experts they're talking about. Here, I'm very excited to give you this interview again. You know, uh, uh, listener beware. Uh, this is about human trafficking. Holly Christine Hayes. Holly Christine Hayes, founder, CEO of uh, of the Sanctuary Project. We are we are really excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much for taking some time with us. Oh, I'm honored. Thanks for having me. This is such a joy. Now, the Sanctuary Project is a successful jewelry line, among other things. Uh, but uh, it, it, the most important thing about it is not that you're selling jewelry. It comes from from how you got to 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 this place with it and what it means to you. So, uh, tell us first of all, I guess, what Sanctuary Project is and how and how you ended up here. Yeah, so we're a nonprofit social enterprise that employs and empowers women coming out of trafficking, violence, and addiction. And I actually came out of that life myself about 20 years ago. And after mentoring a lot of other women who are coming out over the years, I really found that over and over again, the biggest challenge women were facing in recovering from their trauma and moving on in their lives was finding meaningful and dignified employment. Mm. So I created Sanctuary Project to be that place where women can come in, maybe their first job out of jail or out of a safe house and get that employment experience and really just be that safe landing place for women in transition and, um, and in recovery from that trauma. So, so you say you came out of you came out of addiction, and I, I'm assuming, uh, you know, first of all, congratulations on on coming out of that. Um, Thank you. Uh, and I and I know how it's a daily it's a, it's a daily struggle um, or a daily grind, a daily choice that you make. Uh, yeah. we, were you informed for this in this by your own experience? To the point where you realized, like, look, there there just isn't something like this out there. Is that is that how you ended up here? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I came out of addiction, came out of trafficking and had so much trauma when I was starting to rebuild my life. I found um, the 12 step recovery movement, which was wonderful for me. And that really helped me with the addiction. But recovering from the trauma piece, there wasn't any resources out there. I mean, this was 20 years ago. So people weren't talking about trafficking. Mm-hmm. You know, now over the last 10 years, we're talking about it more, you're hearing about it more. But at the time, I just thought I had a really bad boyfriend and was a failed prostitute. Mm. And I had no idea idea that I had been trafficked and I had no idea, um, the language around that and what that meant and what I really needed to heal from. And there weren't places like this. You know, I had to go, I had to go and and try to get a job in corporate America. My first job that I tried was selling T1 lines and, (laughs) and, and I was trying to work in this normal office environment and just was so, um, was really not okay. I really wasn't doing well. And I would, you know, I would leave and go into the bathroom and just start crying. And eventually I ended up getting a job through my recovery community with a shoe shine stand that was run by a bunch of people in recovery. And, um, and that was wonderful because for the first time I was around other people who understood what it was like to be in early recovery, to be, you know, to be, um, working through all this trauma. And it was a place where I was allowed to cry at work. <laughs> and, uh, but not only that, it was a place where all day long, you know, these dirty shoes would come in and I got to make them beautiful. And so all day long, I was getting this message that I make beautiful things. I make beautiful things. I take broken things and messy things and cracked and dried things and I can make them beautiful. And so that, that actually kind of started to rewire my neural pathways from this. I am, I am an addict or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, abused or whatever, you know, trauma informed identity I had to this whole new identity where I'm someone who makes beautiful things. I'm someone who can take something broken and make it beautiful. Uh, how, I mean, and that, and obviously like that, I see the translation into jewelry, which you do now. And how, how important is that, is that visual metaphor for you in, in 
changing the way that you view yourself? You know, I wouldn't have known it at the time. I don't think I could have articulated that it was it was slowly rebuilding my sense of self-worth and, and value to have been shining shoes all day long and seeing right. myself make beautiful things. Right. But I, I actually saw it for the first time when I visited Thailand back in 2012 and I was working in the anti-trafficking movement at that point and, and went out there to see what, what they were doing um, with women coming out of, of trafficking in Thailand. And they were training them to make jewelry. And I saw this group of women sitting in a circle together making jewelry. And each time they finished a piece, they would hold it up and, and show the other girls and go, look what I made. Look what I just finished. Mm. And all the other girls would look at her and go, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. And I think that was when it really clicked for me, that there is a link between being someone who makes beautiful things and a total and complete um, healing and transformation of the mind and having that happen in community with other people who understand. And so um, that really inspired me. And, you know, and no one no one was really doing it here in America. There's a there's a lot of other, you know, sort of nonprofit jewelry brands that do similar things overseas. But no one was doing it with girls here in the United States who'd been trafficked here in the United States. How I mean, I, I, I understand like I understand why you couldn't uh, why you couldn't be alone in the regular corporate world without going through this process that you went through of, uh, of, of working with other women who had been trafficked. But do you think that there are that there are things and behaviors that we as the community of people who haven't been trafficked, uh, are doing that would make that that make it hard for for uh, people in your position to reassimilate, or or uh, or will we always need these at least at least in the short term uh, communities where you can get back to do meaningful work among people who have experienced the same thing you have. I think it's the ideal situation. You know, I do think it's ideal to sort of, um, because you've been so removed from society, so isolated in mm. this, you know, in this trafficking or abuse environment, um, to just all of a sudden jump back into the normal corporate world or to a normal school life or, or any sort of normal life. You know, even if you're surrounded by lovely, compassionate people, there just simply is going to be an innate sense of um, of danger in in anything you're walking into with that level of trauma, and you know, and and even even in terms of behavior, I didn't know how to act in that environment yet. Right. You know, I needed I needed some basic training and just how to show up in an office. I remember I used to show up for work every single day late and I had this sweet boss named Brandon and I would show up every day late, but with a cup of coffee in my hand, I'd stopped and gotten coffee on the way. <laughs> and he had to talk to me and explain to me how that wasn't okay. He had to explain like, Hey, you walk into our morning meeting late, 15, 20 minutes late every day. And you're holding a cup of coffee. I know you stopped and got that coffee. And I know that took 15 or 20 minutes. And <laughs> he had to explain how that was like disrespectful, right? But I could never have imagined. And even how to dress appropriately. I mean, man, I, you know, I was a hoe. So like the, <laughs> my wardrobe was kind of hoey. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to value myself enough to dress in, in a way that was appropriate and not um, leading with my sexuality because that right. was what I'd been trained I had to do to survive. So, you know, just having that soft landing place for women where they can learn things. And I'm constantly having conversations like that coffee conversation where I'm mm -hmm. saying, hey, so you're late right now, but I know you stopped on the way in. Right. <laughs> and and just giving and just giving a safe place for, for women to learn those lessons and learn how to dress and learn how to how to engage with coworkers in a place where there's um, where there isn't going to be judgment. Yeah. Uh, you you got out of it by by going to by going to prison uh I, I you mentioned uh is is there a way that we can start to get people out of this trafficking world and start to get them to where you are 
and and you know, get them into in, into programs like the Sanctuary Project without having to get as low as prison? You know, it's a really good question. I, um, I, I'm torn on this because a part of me would say that would be ideal, right? If we can somehow get them separated from their traffickers and get them into recovery programs without having to hit bottom or, or go to, the, to that degree. Um, but one of the best things about jail I've found, because I do a lot of work with our, with our jail system now, and I go into the jails and I'm sharing my story in the jails and I'm talking to girls in jail. And one of the best things about it is that it's actually separated them from their trafficker. Mm. And because trafficking in most cases here in America is so manipulative, you know, you're not dealing um, as often with sort of a kidnapping scenario. Um, normally, this is a, a manipulation scenario we see here where uh, someone comes in, they pose as a boyfriend, um, they, uh, and then they start, you know, behaving in, in, uh, violent ways. And then they, and then they start coercing, um, the woman into, uh, into a trafficking scenario. Um, sometimes it's a family member, but most of the time it's a known person. Right. And so what's nice about jail is it actually gives it, it gives some separation from the trafficker where most women, when they're in a trafficking situation are being so manipulated and so coerced in that situation that if you were to come in and say, I'd like to rescue you now, they would say, rescue me from what, you know, right, um, that's my right. boy. That's my boyfriend. He's just helping me out and I'm helping him out. And, you know, and I love him. And, and so that's the really tough thing about a lot of what we're doing is that there is so much, um, they're so entwined with, with their trafficker often, and there's an addiction usually involved. And so they're, they're, um, they're dependent on the boyfriend. They're dependent on the trafficker, they're dependent on the, the drugs. And, and the nice thing about jail is it gets them away from all of that. And so we actually have a moment where we can speak into their lives, share some hope, and hopefully get them into a new life. Uh, I mean, yeah. So I, I absolutely understand how that, the, the benefits of that. I mean, and I think, you know, I totally understand how, how great it is what you guys are doing. And I, I want to talk in a second, I want to get back to talking about uh, exactly how you started the Sanctuary Project and how you are dealing with with girls now. But before we do that, um, I, I you know I, I want to ask the question: In your experience and the experience of the women that you've dealt with, are there things that we can do as a society that can help with that first step? Because you said mm -hmm. you said it's people that we know. You say it's a it's a combination. It's 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 manipulation, and I'm I'm, I'm assuming there's a there's there's threat and shame associated with that. How can yeah. we as parents, as people in our community, uh, break it up before it gets to that point? Or do, is there anything we can do? Yes. Um, okay, listeners, you're not going to like this answer. <laughs> um, we have to stop buying sex. Yeah. As a society, we have to stop buying prostitutes. The issue is, uh, you know, the issue goes all the way back to even even buying pornography, because as long as there's a demand, as long as right. there's people who need to purchase sex or who want to purchase sex or feel like they need to and want to purchase sex, then you're going to have this scenario because there's simply not enough willing participants in the porn industry or in prostitution. And so because there's demand, there are um, opportunistic traffickers who are going to have to go out and find a supply. So that's the first piece is we have to stop buying sex as a society. And we need to start educating, uh, you know, young boys and who are going through puberty that like, hey, these are the dangers of looking at porn. This is actually what's happening. You know, this is it's not just about, oh, be good. And, you know, don't do that, Johnny. It's you know, this is actually it's it's 
feeding a larger systemic issue. And so I think when people start to understand that, they can look at pornography differently and they can look at the purchase of sex and, and escorts and things like that differently if they understand the systemic issues. And on the other side, I think, you know, parents, when I was growing up, used to be so protective about where we went unsupervised. We weren't allowed to go out after dark, you know, mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. soon as the streetlights came on, we had to come home. Um, we weren't allowed to walk to that neighborhood alone or whatever. Um, but, but I think nowadays, you know, what we see is that hundred percent of traffickers are finding girls online. They're mm. finding them through their Snapchat. They're finding them on Instagram. So we, we, we've, as a society, we haven't shifted that sense as a parent of you need to not go to that neighborhood alone. Um, we need to start shifting that to their social media accounts. Right. So young girls are being targeted. If, you know, they're able to, a trafficker is able to see if a girl is insecure, if she's putting her sexuality out there at a young age. He's able to see if she's being bullied and he can come in as sort of a hero. And so we have to be so careful about monitoring what our kids and our young, uh, young teens are doing online. Um, that's the biggest, most dangerous zone for traffickers to target our, our, our women and children. Yeah. I, 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 do you have any tools that you like for, for helping to, uh, to prevent those kinds of things from, from happening? Like, is, is it just, is it just good old fashioned elbow grease? Like you just got to monitor your kids all the time or is there like a, are there tools I that you can that. I think it is that, you know, I, um, I'm not there yet. My baby's 18 months old and mm. I, you know, I work in anti-trafficking, so she might never be on social <laughs> media. Yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. I'm going to be like, don't do that. Traffickers are there. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just being present in your kids' lives and even educating them about the dangers so that they understand you're not doing this to be a helicopter parent. You're not doing this to be controlling. You're really doing this because you love them and you value their safety. And they need right. to understand the dangers of engaging with anyone that's not someone they know and go to school with. Is there a way to preserve our kids' innocence while also protecting them from this kind of stuff? Because that's, that's the hard thing, right? Is I know a lot of us don't want to begin to have some of these conversations with our kids because we worry that that you know that we want them to be be children for a little while before they get into this world you know what i mean yeah yeah totally and i think it's about language you know i think when, when they're very young, you can say things like, don't talk to strangers, you know, you never know who they are. I think you can, I think you can keep it light. And then as they mature, start to give them more information. Obviously, we don't want to be inundating a six or seven or 10 year old right. even with, there are traffickers out there who will coerce you into this horrible lifestyle. We don't want to scare them in that way. But I remember even as a child, my parents explaining to me that there are kidnappers out there. And, you know, they didn't explain to me what kidnappers did with young girls like me, but they, but they did explain to me that there were dangers out there, right? And so, um, so I think just keeping it keeping it simple and explaining the danger that there are dangers out there um, without getting too specific, but understanding that you know creating a sense of you know uh, importance to it and and helping them understand that that it matters, but um, but letting those those in depth conversations be for when they're a bit more mature and and around the time especially they're hitting puberty. Yeah, and just being all over them, and I just. My, yeah. As as my kids, my oldest is getting ready. She's not a you know she's a few years away, but I'm we're starting to think about teenage years, and uh, you know I, I I it's it's hard to find that line between having good boundaries and and but also you know having them be able to hide stuff from us. And and you said right. too, you said before too, you know, and and I've heard this from other sources that you know kidnappings and trafficking generally occur with somebody who is known, not with a random yeah. person who is unknown. And, and it, it's paralyzing. And I, I think I echo what a lot of parents feel. Uh, 
I just want to wrap my kids in bubble wrap and hold them at home, but that's not good for their development either. I just don't, right. I don't know what to do to begin to protect my children from this threat when you're, when, when these, when these, uh, points of entry are, uh, are what they are. Well, you know, one thing that might sort of quell your, um, your fears is, you know, some of the statistics are really that um, traffic girls are not often coming from loving homes. Um, one of the things traffickers are looking for is a family where the, the parents are disconnected. They're, they're recruiting out of the foster care system. They're recruiting kids that are not being well supervised. And so, you know, even just your heart, and I can hear your heart, you know, for, for your kids and how much you love them. That in and of itself is going to make your child a less desirable target for a trafficker, because as soon as they know there's family involved in that person's life, they're not going to, that's not an easy target and they want an easy target. It's Mm -hmm. easier for them to go after the kid that is not being supervised, the kid that's in the foster care system, um, you know, the kid that's economically disenfranchised. And so those are unfortunately the situations we're seeing most often Um, or situations like mine where an addiction uh, starts to take hold of a life. And, um, you know, and then that ended up sort of severing my relationship with my with my family, with my parents. And so it really wasn't until I had those family relationships severed that my trafficker was able to come in and start to target me. So you just being a good dad, which I can tell you are, is the is probably the single best thing you can do to keep your kids safe. Well, that's I mean, that, that's good to know. And I, I appreciate the the complimentary side of that. I, I um, you know, but I, I don't I, I for for me, too, I don't want to see any kids going to this. I like I yeah. want to I want to make sure that those foster kids don't end up there. And I want to make sure that people because while I uh, while I do love what you do, I would love for you to go out of business in terms oh, of having <laughs> in terms of having a supply of labor. Like I would love to see Absolutely. us get to that place. Yeah, um, I agree. That would be my biggest dream that I go out of business because right. we can't find we can't find anyone to work for us. He's a survivor. <laughs> yeah, um, I just so I just you know I I guess I I want so badly for us to all realize like where, where this is coming from, how this is being manipulated, and and. Um, and how we can protect kids from it. I, I heard you say before that, you know, we need to deal with the demand side of uh, of the economics uh, of of the sex industry. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I worry that there's just always going to be a demand from somewhere. Um, yeah. And I don't. So I, I worry that that's not realistic. And then and then it's controlling our own kids and, and making sure that they're not a part of the supply side. And I, I, I just it feels like I said before, just it feels such like an insurmountable problem. It feels welcome feels to my life. I know, <laughs> it's right? true. It's true. It's um, you know, and that's where I think when people hear about this issue, it is so overwhelming. It does feel really hopeless sometimes. Sometimes, and so I think just grabbing hold of like, okay, so what can we do? What can I do? You know, I. I can't stop the demand. I can't stop every man <laughs> from ever wanting to right. buy sex. I can't stop that that um, that it's happening. Um, but what I what can I do? Where can I enter in? And so for each person listening, I think asking yourself, what can I do? Can I adopt out of foster care so that there's one less right, kid right. that's that's being that's being uh, vulnerable to this? To and or can I can I um, come alongside police to help them identify um, and and get trained in working with trafficking? survivors um can i work on the restoration side like i'm doing you know um working on the restoration side i get to see how it all uh, works out for good and and can be redeemed and restored and and so i get to see really the the good side of things where where women do come out and they do build a whole new life and and then i get to see how they um work with other women who are who are who are coming out and and so um finding that 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 thing you can do i think is is the best way to to come at an all-consuming issue like this yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about how, what you do with the Sanctuary Project, how you started it, how it's helping people, and also how we can uh, how we can look for the signs of human trafficking in people that we see out in public. So stay with us. Holly, I, I want to get to the hope side of things. So I, I want to talk about how uh, how you begin to rebuild these women up that you've gotten out of trafficking. So I guess my first question is, uh, you know, how did you get, I, I know that you did the, I want to go back to your personal story. You did the, you did the shoe shining for a while. How did you get to, um, how did you get to start to scale the idea of sanctuary project and begin to, and, and begin to make this jewelry with other, with other women? Yeah. So I had a long career, um, after shoe shining, I got into real estate, um, and, uh, and then started kind of working my way up and, and, uh, real estate investing and, um, property management and, and all sort of different aspects of, of real estate. Um, and, and then, um, over the years just sort of started to realize that I had, I had done what few are able to do, which is go from the, you know, the bottom homeless and, and trafficked and, and addicted to, to actually making something of myself and, and, you know, becoming a successful, productive member of society. And, and at that point I realized I really wanted to give back. Um, when my husband and I got married, I was, I was living in Paris, France when we, when we got married and, um, and then we moved to Austin, Texas where he had been living. And, and so all of a sudden I found myself in Austin, um, without, uh, without work and newly married and, and really trying to figure out what, what to do next. And over the years, I've always volunteered with anti-trafficking organizations and went to find one to volunteer with and couldn't find one here in Austin. Mm. And, um, and so I realized, well, this is probably that moment to start this thing I've been dreaming of for so many years. And so um, really marrying together that, that experience I had so many years ago at that shoeshine stand with what I saw happening in Thailand, with what I knew about what sex trafficking looked like here in America, and, um, and bringing that all together into this one vision um, with one difference from what I'd seen in social enterprises in the past. I, I had always been frustrated at, that the jewelry just wasn't cute. <laughs> I would want to buy it. I, you know, I would feel so good buying these feathered earrings from this tribe in Uganda, but then I would get them home and I would never wear the feathered earrings right. from the tribe in Uganda because it's not my style. And, and then I would find myself just putting on whatever cute jewelry I bought at Nordstrom. And so I really wanted to design something that, um, that would appeal to uh, an American buyer. I really wanted our designs to be elevated and beautiful and trendy and, um, and, and have that sort of Parisian minimalist style I'd, I'd come to love in my time living in Paris. And, and, uh, and I wanted it to, to be done with excellence. And so that was, that was the biggest, um, differentiator I would say when I was, um, when I was set, you know, setting this up and, and trying to stand apart from what other social enterprises were doing. And so it's been so fun to, to create and craft, uh, with all those things in mind. I mean, I think, I think you've hit on something really interesting there, which is, um, and it comes from, it's got to come from your, your business background, which is, uh, you know, you, you want to do something good, but you also want to do something excellent. You want to do yeah. something that, that has a social story and a social construct around it, but that, but that at the end of the day, you're actually making something, uh, making something good. Uh, there, there's, there's homeboy industries in Los Angeles that, that, that has that hires ex cons yep. for, for making, but it's just good deli sandwiches. At, yeah. the, at the beginning of the, at the beginning and the end of it, it's good deli sandwiches. It just happens to be made by uh, ex-cons. 
Um, yeah. And, and uh, it, I don't know that it would work as well if the sandwiches weren't good. Does that make sense? And I think, Absolutely. Yeah. And you're able to have so much more impact. The more, the, the more excellence you're bringing to your, you know, to your craft, whatever it is, um, you're, you're able to have so much more impact because the more successful we are, the more jewelry people buy, the more women I can employ and the more impact I can have. The better those sandwiches taste, the more people are going to tell their friend, we got to go try these sandwiches, you know? Mm-hmm. And the more people are loving our jewelry and wearing it, the more they're telling our story to their friends. And so that was really the missing link I saw was there's so many nonprofits and social enterprises out there with that mission based, you know, their, their mission based hearts. um, But without that business sense to say, this has to be something that there's a great market for. How do you get your girls that that work, uh, that work for you? How do you, how do you recruit them? And how do you begin? I know you said jail is a great separator. Are they all coming out of jail or are you finding them in other ways? Uh, majority actually do come out of the jail, which is, um, which is great. And, uh, we're, it's a, it, like I said, it's an easy place to get them separated from their trafficker and get them ready for a new life. Oftentimes they've hit bottom and they're ready to, to start a new life. And that's the number one thing we want is someone who's ready. Mm. Um, we also partner with other nonprofits in our city. So if they're, um, if they're coming out of, a, a, a safe house or something like that here in our city, we're, um, we're kind of in, in the loop and are aware of, of those women looking for work. So some of them are coming from other nonprofits. Um, we've just started po- uh, partnering with the Austin Police Department too, so we can um, get referrals directly from them. So it's really a mix. And um, some of them are, are contacting us directly as well. They're hearing oh, wow. about our work and seeing us in the community or hearing, hearing us on a podcast or um, passing by our building and reaching out to us directly, which is great. And are you... We've had... Go ahead. Oh, we've had a couple of girls even pull their friends in too. So, um, you know, they, they start working for us and they're like, Hey, I was trafficked with this other girl and I think she's ready to get out. Let's grab her and get her in here too. And we love that. That's such a gift when we get to, um, you know, pull out a friend. And are you seeing a big dynamic change in these women? And, and I mean, like, I'm assuming it's a great success for you, but is it, is it as rewarding as I imagine that it is? And are you seeing the change that, that you're talking about? It's incredible. You know, I think um, when I started it, I had this dream in my mind, right? I had seen, I had seen glimpses that it could work, but I never would have imagined that it would work to the degree it is. Um, Two of our women actually bought their first homes this year. And holy moly, I cried. I mean, they were just like stressed about all the logistics and I was just crying Mm -hmm. for, you know, just from sheer joy of seeing these women go from, you know, just totally broken and someone that society would completely discard to successful, vibrant women who are, you know, purchasing their first homes. And, you know, we don't just have survivors making jewelry and shipping jewelry. We have survivors that are working at every job in our company. And so we have a program manager who's a survivor, an operations director is a survivor, our social media manager is a survivor. Mm. So these are women working in great sort of corporate jobs within a very cool fashion company. Mm. And really, really starting to turn their lives around. So it's just incredible. It's incredible to see the change in them and to see them softening, even working around other women. And it's just beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And if you would like to support that change, the company is Sanctuary Project. You guys are, are you available yet in Target or are you, are you still working yeah. on that? We are, yeah. So we launched on Target.com um, this this past fall, just before the holidays, and so that's really exciting. Um, you can purchase our whole line on Target.com or directly from us at SanctuaryProject.com. Holly, I, we're 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 moving to the end here, and I just I, some of these stories are just so beautiful. But I, I 
I still feel this like real tug on my heart for us to be able to intervene before these mm -hmm. things before before you need this. Um, and, and I guess uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, what are the things that um, aside from not feeding the demand and loving our kids, which is great, uh, what what are ways that we can spot people that are being trafficked as we go through our daily lives, uh, you know, buying coffee or what have you uh, so that we can begin to. To, to start breaking this apart as soon as possible? Well, you know, one of the things that's tough about it is that it's something that happens very much in the dark. Um, you know, it's happening in hotel rooms and in cars. And, you know, this is, um, it's, it's not something that you would necessarily be able to mm. spot. You know, for all intents and purposes, I looked like a normal college student when this was happening to me. But there were things going on that, that someone could have spotted and that people even did spot but didn't, didn't take seriously. Um, it was clear that the relationship I was in was becoming violent. And, um, and, and I would have identified as, a, as even a domestic violence survivor at that point. Um, you know, people knew that he was hurting me and, um, and, and were not intervening probably with the severity that they should have. Mm. And then it was clear that I was addicted and that I was, and that I was lost in, in addiction. And I think, you know, those are some of the, the consistencies we see over and over again in, um, in these girls' stories. You know, it starts with like, it starts with an addiction and then it's an abusive boyfriend. And then it's what we call survival sex where they're having sex to get their basic needs met. And then ultimately it leads to a trafficking situation. And so if we can catch it just when it's an addiction, you know, early on in high school when, you know, you start to see a kid falling down the wrong path or hanging out with the wrong kids, starting to pull them back then is really the, the best thing we can do. Mm. Well, it's Sanctuary Project. Holly, Christine Hayes, I really appreciate you taking so much time with us today. I'm going to ask you two last things as we wrap up. Uh, aside from Target.com, where we can buy Sanctuary Project jewelry, uh, how can people follow up with you and, and support what you're doing? Well, we're, um, we're active on, on Instagram, on social media. So come join us there and, and become a part of our community there. And then if this is really tugged on your heart and you're someone who really wants to come alongside these survivors, we have a sponsor, a survivor program where you can actually sponsor one of our women monthly with either one day of employment per month, one week of employment for, per month, or a full month of employment. And so you can find all of that information on our website, the sponsor survivor program. And the website is? sanctuaryproject.com link to sanctuaryproject.com as well as to the sanctuary project collection at target.com will be in the show notes one last thing and i ask it to everybody what is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better oh i'm gonna say one that people aren't gonna like uh-oh stop watching porn y'all i'm sorry that's yeah it's an important one that's good i had to say it yeah <laughs> Holly Christine Hayes, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was great to be here. That's it for our show today. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you so much for those of you who have subscribed. If you want to follow up with us, uh, we spend a lot of time at facebook.com slash John Tesh. We go live there all the time. We do uh, we do these things every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific. We do the Prima Workout. We try to uh, produce as much content for that site as we possibly can. So check that out if you guys want to connect with us. John is also on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Please try to reach out. Please let me know what you're liking, what you're listening to. If there's something, some topic you want us to cover. Uh, because, you know, ultimately, I do the show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs>